Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is the ever-calm Jeff Clossy. Very, very calm. Always. Hey, good morning, Jay. Yeah, that, well, it doesn't mean you're not energetic sometimes. You're always like pretty <laughs> even keel. Oh, um, good morning. I don't know how your day off yesterday was. Well, it was exciting because of the World Cup. Oh, yeah. That was Cup. really fun. Yeah. I, we talked about that last week. So yeah, we just really quickly, if you don't like soccer and you haven't watched the World Cup, check to see when Brazil plays next and watch it because it they is unbelievable fun. how they're, good they are. Yeah, they're really good and fun. How was your day off? Um, thanks for asking, man. I, uh, <laughs> I, I tried to get things done, um, and I spent too much of my time trying to find a, an application that would help me get things done. Awesome. Like you mean an app that task planning or something? Yeah, like planner apps yeah. and things like that that'll help me. And I finally, I there's one that I was like, oh, I think I'm going to tr- give this a try. And someone in the comments is, I think my, um, my maybe my long lost brother said, yeah, until until there's an app that gets me out of bed and takes my kids to school, then, you know, I'm probably not. It's probably not for me. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> The the any procrastinator knows that any system that doesn't actually do the task for you is going to fall short. It's and a bummer like, that we don't have one of those. You know, we're getting closer. I wonder how much that subscription would cost. I don't know, but they have. <laughs> well, now what they have is artificial intelligence planners that start to learn your behaviors and learn your patterns, and so then they'll schedule. It will just schedule for you, and it will just you just write you just tell it what you need to do, and you can you can. Um, tell it how much time it takes eventually it learns that so like if you That's say I, I have to like go get groceries eventually it will know well when you go get groceries it takes you an hour and a half and you tend to like to do it at this time in this day and eventually it just starts so you just put the list and then you tell it the schedule and it'll put the blocks in your calendar <laughs> for oh you. my and uh there's still like they're still kind of at the beginning phase, but I'm like, okay, now we're getting closer. We're getting closer. I just need. Well, and then we get like a, autonomous vehicles so that right. like we could all share a vehicle. Right. And it just shows up at your house yeah. when it's time. And repeated orders yeah. from like grocery stores that you just know, oh, this is what I, this is what I get. Yeah. The, the world of automation. But here's what's funny is we've never learned our lesson no. that, that like all these things are supposed to free our time and yet we're busier than ever. And so the more technology we come up with that's supposed to relieve our stress in a certain area, we then just fill that up with, you know, more things. Like you think about how much work a person is expected to do compared to, you know, pastimes. It's not like some some automated portion of your job that it was supposed to free you up only frees you up to do more just add add more. Yeah. It's, you know, time and money are both things we spend and it and we treat them very similarly. No matter how much we have of money, we're always going to feel like we don't have enough. Right. And I think time is like that too. Even when we talk about time-saving technology, it feels to me like a very similar dynamic. It's yeah. just never enough. We don't get enough done. We don't feel as productive, whatever. Even though with the aid of some of these things, we are getting a lot done. Right. You think about sending even a letter through the mail versus quick email for, for work like or a chat. Right. It's crazy how much faster it all is, but it doesn't seem necessarily like it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, imagine, just imagine like a pastor from the 1960s 
even the 1960s popping in to our daily rhythms. And if we said, oh, I got to I gotta communicate with all the volunteers in this ministry, and then we need to let the whole church know this or whatever, he'd be thinking, holy cow, like we're going to be stuffing envelopes all day today or making phone calls all day. And uh, like, how in the world would you get all that done? And we can write a quick email, send it to simultaneously to hundreds of people, and and we'll be we'd be like, okay, that's done. And he'd be going, he'd be still like handwriting the first, uh huh, <laughs> the first one, and putting his eraser correction, whatever. That's what would happen to me if I was writing it all. I'd have to constantly do it over. Oh man. Backspace is well, that amazing. Becomes, <laughs> well, that becomes perfectionism. Our perfectionism is you know, oh, it is has been. Um, so, so was it yeah. a good day off though, or was it mostly uh, kind of like oh man? It was a day. Yeah, it was just a day. I lost two of my children. <laughs> this, I don't have time for those stories, but no, I did. Like it, we had uh, we had moments of I'm asking twice during the day. I am asking people from the school district, "Do you have any idea where my kid is?" <laughs> and and me not being where my kid, like it just, it, uh, Lauren went out of town for the day. She went and hung out with a friend. Well, that's good context for all this. And so I was left to do like the normal stuff and I lost two of our children. We got them back, got them back. So happy about that. You know, so we ended the day with the same head count that we started the day with. Well, that's a good day. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, you know what, when you put it that way, <laughs> I'm glad we're, we're all happy that that happened. All right. Well, speaking of good days, let's, uh. We have a podcast to do here. We do. And it was another, for me personally, wonderful Sunday of worship together. Goodness. It was. We do need to address the elephant in the room, which Robbie always liked to say that I just, I introduced the elephant. Okay. Like, what no is one, it? No one knows what the elephant is. But no, the the uh, the poor Robbie sending me a message at the end of the, the sermon. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I just happened to look down. I always silence my notifications. And then I look down and it's from Robbie and... Uh, he he was encouraging. He actually did not have critique about the sermon. So the AI in your phone didn't autofill thanks did for your criticism? Auto, That's not no, the normal. No, okay. it's, it should. <laughs> I needed an AI. Like, well, it's gotten good enough to know, like, hey, do you want to turn on Do Not Disturb? You always turn on Do Not yeah. Disturb at this time. But, um, no, Robbie uh, was pointing out, and what he was mentioning was the narrative, like a narrative passage and then trying to make a narrative passage practical and that's really what I've been focused on these last few weeks, especially when you're dealing with similar stories as they, you know, there's only, there's only so much you can say about that rhythm. So we've tried, which is a stretch for me to go very practical and very like structured and practical. Um, and so, so this was one of those sermons where I was just thinking, man, there's so much about this story that I would like to tell, but I really felt like if this is going to be helpful on this given day to to the people here, then we need to. I need to just try to pull out um, what was practical. And this was when you're talking about sermon prep. This is one of those interesting ones where it didn't come together for a while. I I had to just keep going over the passage. And what I did was I just kept just re rephrasing the the passage, saying, "Okay, look, like what did God do? What is Paul doing? What did other people do?" Like, what are we actually seeing happen in this narrative? And it was in the writing that out multiple times that these patterns started to emerge. And I started to see, oh, it looks like, you know, the main, the common denominator in each one of these settings is what God is doing in the midst of them. Um, whereas in other ones, it was 
more, you know, what Paul, how Paul is being faithful, or we talked about like mob rule and how like how others, this one seemed very much like, okay, God, what is clear is how God is sovereignly orchestrating all of this. And so that was really encouraging to me. And so that, that's just a little snippet about this. A long time ago, we used to talk about the the preparation of it and what was interesting about it. But I think this is helpful because it doesn't come easily all the time. Like we don't just have ready-made sermons about whatever passage. Some passages we do, like some passages are we're so familiar with that we get really excited about um, what's in there. But many passages, we are we're left to just kind of, we don't know how to make it into a, a set time that is going to, it's going to be helpful. And so, um, so I just encourage you, like, as you're reading, especially narrative passages, one of the helpful things is not only imagining what's going on, which, you know, we tried to do, you think about these guys were starving, like they were facing starvation and they were facing like being lost at sea and they had abandoned all hope. Um, and so like the desperation that they're feeling that it's good to get into that, but also I just find it helpful in narrative passage to just write down like, what are all the things I see? Like, and, and why would the author include those things? Obviously he's including the things that are helpful to understanding the story, understanding who God is and what he's doing and, and how we are to respond to him. And so that, that was definitely um, this one, but what that then means. So it's something you brought up earlier before we started recording was it means that um, like there's going to be like an inability to go deep, deep dive into some of um, to some of these points, which you pointed out the. Yeah. The it was one, point yeah. number two, I think. Yeah. God protects. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I loved well, just a comment about preparation, by the way. What you did there is that's very similar to what I've been doing when you have a big chunk like we've preached whole books too in like one sermon yep. <laughs> and um, it's such a good exercise, even if you're not like reading it in order to preach it just for devotional purposes as well, like rereading it and imagining how would you write up like an article, like a newspaper article and report what's happening that can really help me mm. to grasp. Okay. What is, how is this, what is the spirit doing with this? And I appreciated how you on Sunday, maybe I noticed this because I'm a pastor and I preach, but you chose very specifically which verses you would read and which ones you summarized. And I thought that was really good because it was a, actually a pretty good chunk of verses that you had assigned to you. Um, but you didn't leave out anything that was important and you summarized quickly um, what we didn't what we didn't need to read. But yeah, I mean, point number two, I, I kind of left feeling like that was a really big one. It was God protects and you used the phrase, unless God says so. And I just wrote that and I put dot, dot, dot. And you were talking about things like what, what Paul was going through was this, you know, shipwreck. And he, he said that God said he, these people were all going to be safe, even though they weren't going to believe him in that moment. And that was the example of unless God says so, this thing won't, will not happen to you. And, I, you know, you didn't have time to get into that in depth. But I thought to myself, I bet there's a lot of people that really were struck by that and had examples in their life, current or past that, that just came to mind. So I'm curious, like, as you think about that, since you said it, and as you've prepped, what other things might be helpful as we just think through in our lives, that phrase and that idea? Yeah. I, and I tried to give voice to that, to say, 
I know this is, I know it's a hard saying. I never want to be flippant about things that are hard sayings. I want to, I want to acknowledge that those are, that's challenging. The thing that if, if there was one piece that I wish I would have said that I, that I could have said, even in that, even in keeping it brief is whenever you're faced with a situation where you're trying to figure out like, okay, well, if this is from God or if God is sovereign over this, how, how does that work? Because this thing that's happening to me is evil or this thing that's happening to me is, is hardship or whatever the case is, is to remember that our focus in those times are not on trying to understand his ways, but trust his character. So there are many times in my life where I do not understand why he is allowing or doing the thing that he is allowing or doing in my life. And if I try to break it down and say, oh, well, maybe it's because of this, maybe it's because of this. Sometimes, sometimes that works, right? Sometimes there are things that happen to us and, you know, we're delayed and we're like, oh, this is frustrating. Why, why am I late? And then because we were late, something else happened and we were like, oh, that's, that's why. Sometimes his ways are, are, are clarified to us and we're like, oh, that's good. But there are many other times where that is not the case, that you go through a hard thing or hard road or something evil happens to you or you, you commit you know, evil and sin against others and you're wondering, God, why did you let me do that? Why did you let them do that to me? Why, did you, um, why do you have me on this road? There are many times where you, where you will not ever understand the the ways but in those moments then I say okay well then I need to trust the character of the one who is doing it so I want to put my focus more on God's character and his nature than on the ways which is what Jesus does you think about the sermon on the mount when he says he talks about do not worry he doesn't say um do not like what he goes to he doesn't say do not worry because, hey, look, look at this thing that you worried about, and then it turned out okay, and it turned out fine, or whatever. He doesn't talk about the circumstances. He says the reason you shouldn't worry is because you have a Father in heaven who loves you, and he cares even for the birds. And so it's this trusting in his nature and his character, even when I don't understand the ways of, of what's happening, which... We have lots of examples of that in real, like in real life, in, in like our own limited human experience that also tells us this. Anyone that's been a parent has had to have that conversation with their child. It's the redeemed version of because I said so, which I promised I would never say that. But then you get to a place as a parent where you realize, oh, the, re- the, the good part about the because I said so is trust me. I know it does not make any sense to you why you can't have ice cream right now or why I'm going to make you clean your room or why you have to go to school or why you have, like any of these things. I know I can't get that to make sense to you because you don't yet understand or see what I see, but I'm asking you to trust me. And that is exactly like, that's the mirror of what our father does. He, he doesn't expect that we would be able to understand. Like, how could we, how could we understand? Like we can't fathom any of it. I love that distinction. So focusing on who God is and not our circumstances. There's a real danger when we try to figure out why he's doing something. Yes. We we often can, I think, conclude something that is not true at all. And in fact, our conclusion often 
makes God into someone he is not. So vindictive or distant or not caring or all those things, you just fill in the blank. When the truth is he's loving and present, he grieves over our pain, he's not distant. And it makes me think too, you gave the example of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and it makes me think also of Psalm 23. So the Lord is my shepherd, that's who he is. So I won't lack any good thing. And then even when I walk, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. Why? Not because of circumstance is good, right? But because he's with me. And again, that's who he is. So yeah, that's really helpful, really practical. You know, you said it on Sunday. I just want to make sure we say it again. If this brings up something in your life that you know, I need to pray with a pastor about this. I need to talk through this because there's a wound or there's something. Do that. We want to do that with you. Um, we're here for that. You said it. I just wanted to repeat that because, yeah. and, and I love that you're not dismissing the pain and the, the tough things. It's actually no. the opposite. You can actually face them for what they are when you don't right. think you can explain them. Yeah, there's a reason why Jesus looks on comp- with compassion among people. I mean, think about that, like how often Jesus looks upon, he says he looks upon the crowds with compassion. He looks upon them as like sheep without a shepherd, like they're helpless, like harassed. This this view, when you realize he's looking at the creation that rebelled against the creator and welcomed in all of this havoc and all this sin and destruction, that's who he's looking at. And yet the Bible says that he looks upon us with compassion. And that's a very difficult thing to understand. We tend to think compassion is reserved for people who are innocent. Like you can have compassion on somebody or at least understandable. So if you look at somebody like we tend to have compassion based on if I look at that person and I think, well, this isn't their fault, then I have compassion. Or if I think, yeah, it's their fault, but I can totally understand why they're in the situation. I understand why they would do that. What they did was understandable. Then we have compassion. But if we don't understand them and we don't think they're innocent, then we lack compassion. But that's not the way Jesus is because Jesus looks at us and knows that we are guilty, knows we are not innocent. He only understands in the sense that he understands what it means to be tempted, but not to choose to believe the evil one and to go down that road. Um, He still has compassion. And I think, so when Paul is dealing with this, it's like God is not looking at Paul and if if Paul had any moments of fear which we don't see that there like but I'm sure there was like I'm sure he's a human being he's a human being so yep. when and I'm sure he did not notice he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen he says things like I I believe there's going to be like great loss that we're going to suffer great loss he tells them like don't like all the people have to stay on the board he doesn't know why he doesn't say like, well, because this is exactly what's going to happen. And now we're going to need all those people to be able to get the, the planks into the water so that we can get to dry land or anything like that. He doesn't know. He just he knows that he trusts God and the angel of the Lord told him this. So, yeah, I think um, remembering that God, that, that this is not a flippant thing. God's not saying like, oh, my goodness, if you knew what I was preparing for you, then you wouldn't worry about this right now. He he understands. He sympathizes with us in our in our weakness. He's compassionate. He is. He weeps with us. He grieves with us. And then he says, "But trust me. You can. You can trust me." Yeah, and you were using the example of Paul in ministry as well. 
And you, right. I think you said something like, um, the promise isn't that others won't forsake us, but that God won't forsake us, that he is with us because Paul's life is full of people disliking him and actively working to kill him and, and remove him <laughs> from ministry. Right. Yeah. So, uh, clearly with him, it's true, but I think it's easy, it's easy to forget that and to lose sight of that, that trouble with other people when you're trying to serve and love them and care for them is actually, it's normal. That's not to be, it's not shocking. And that the promise wasn't that it would be easy, right. that there wouldn't be pain, but that God would be with you through it. Yeah. In his, in his parenting book, Paul Tripp says, um, I forget which, uh, which book it is, but he said, you know, we, we often as parents act surprised when our kids need parenting <laughs> that we yeah. expect, we expect them to be like fully mature adults, like even more mature than us. Like we're, we're frustrated when they don't do what we ask them to do. We're frustrated when they make mistakes. We're frustrated when they don't listen. And they, so he's like, basically you're, you're surprised that they need parenting. And I, I use that illustration when I teach at seminary for people who are going into ministry of saying like you, you act surprised when people need shepherding, but people need shepherding, all of us, including me, which is why we believe in a plurality of elders, because we don't, we don't just have like a, a senior pastor who's like the lead CEO. It, it is, um, there's a group of, of pastors who shepherd this church and we shepherd one another because we all need that and we shouldn't be surprised at that. And part of being shepherded is we don't we don't always understand it. And and so the people that you are ministering to, whether it's sharing the gospel with people or trying to serve them, um, the reality is is that if you do that based on their response to you, then you you won't last. Because people people's views on all kinds of things change. And certainly as citizens of a kingdom who are strangers in this world. Scripture is full of, of situations where God's people are looked upon favorably and then not. You know, they, they have favor in, in the world and then they don't. And it seems to change sometimes on a whim, like through nothing else other than, well, it's time. Like now you're going to be in exile. Now you're going to be beloved. Now you're going to be hated. Now you're going <laughs> to, now the crowds are going to all want to follow you. And now they're all going to want to kill you. <laughs> it's just... It's so constant. Like it's the change is constant. <laughs> it is. And that ties into your first point that you were making too, that God prepares the way that he goes before you. And one of the things I wrote down that really struck me was you said, it's not about you. It's about who is with you. And uh, that is such a life. It's such a simple thing to say, mm-hmm. but an amazing, profound, life-changing thing to experience and live out. And I think that one of the things that God has done for me in ministry, the longer I've been vocationally ministering, the more I feel that, the more I feel, (laughs) because you realize the limits to which our human desire for people and our ability to make any change happen, you realize the more you do it and the more you move towards others that we don't have the power that we think or the control that we often think we do. God does. And he is the one that goes before us and he's the one that causes change and transformation. And it's just amazing to me. It's a freeing thing, but it's a really hard thing because to get there, you have to kind of come to the end of yourself and realize, you know what? 
I can bless my neighbor. I can become friends with my neighbor. I want to love them as Jesus calls me to, but I have no power to change their life. That belongs with God. He might want to use me and my friendship and my companionship with them, but it's ultimately him. And that's good for me on the day I feel my best, but especially good for me when I feel like not adequate. Like, what do I have to possibly give someone else today? Yeah. That's when I really need that truth. Yeah, I think I think we procrastinate and avoid all kinds of ministry that God gives us to do because we, because we, we become very focused on ourselves and we become focused on ourselves and on the ministry itself. So like focused on ourselves where I determine, am I equipped to do this? Can I, can I do this? Um, but then, or focused on the ministry, meaning like, well, then it needs to look a certain way or it, this isn't as important. Sometimes we just miss ministry because we don't realize it's ministry. Like we think um, it's so common that people will be ministering to their neighbor, but they don't see it that they're ministering to their neighbor and they don't realize how big of a deal it is. And so we can miss it that way. But we so often um, we're focused either on ourselves in a positive way or like when I say positive way, neither one of them are positive, but focused on ourselves and that like our overconfidence and maybe even arrogance to think that we are the one that can do something or the other way where we just assume like, well, this should be done. And so God needs to bring somebody here who can do it. And that's common in the church. You know, it's an old thing in the church where people see a need and then they come to the church and say like, okay, well, what are you going to, what are you going to do about it? Realize rather than realizing, well, but God put you there. And if God, and I, I tell people that all the time that when they are in a situation, um, especially when I first got here, it was very common that people would say, well, this is happening. Can you come and share the gospel? And I would always just say, you, like you're the one that's there. You should do that. Because if God wanted me there, he would have brought me there. But he put you there. Like he had you live next door to that person. He put you in their family. I want to help you in that. But um, there's there's this belief that that there are human capabilities that can do what, what only God can do. And if you realize that it's the power of God, well, then any servant who trusts the spirit in that is capable of seeing all those things happen. Right? It, yeah. And that's the key, right? Like it's trusting the spirit. Either way, if you're going to either, and I think often we answer our feelings of weakness. Here's the other, the other point I would want to make in that. We often think the response or the answer to us feeling weak is to artificially puff ourselves up. And we do it to one another. So when somebody says, well, I don't think I can do that. Oh, yes, you can because you you're great and you need to just you just need to believe in yourself and you and I'm like, "Ah, no. You need to like Paul Paul boast in his weakness because of the power of God. Like the power of God was made perfect in his weakness because he knew that when he felt weak, he was dependent on the spirit and the spirit is the one that does work. When he didn't feel weak, he didn't feel dependent on the spirit and therefore was doing things in his own strength. So if if you're feeling weak or feeling like you're ill-equipped, then the response should be, well, then I need to trust in the spirit and believe that believe in him. Like don't don't like artificially puff yourself up and don't do that to other people, but get them to trust the spirit. I'm gonna give you an example in my life where that was really helpful. So I this was kind of the middle of when the pandemic was raging and I had a week where probably weeks actually, where it was just discouraging and trying to figure out how do we love people? How do we pastor people? And I just remember feeling down 
about it and at the end of my rope. And I was um, talking with a 70-something friend, follower of Jesus, and the way he responded to me affected me a lot. And it was just what you just said. He didn't say to me, you've got this, Jeff. You know what to do. Go do it. You're going to be fine. You can do it. He said to me, I know that you will experience the sufficiency of Christ for this situation in your life, and we need to pray for that right now. And he prayed that I would experience Christ as sufficient and powerful and present to meet the need of the hour. And that actually was super encouraging because he actually, in doing that, didn't dismiss the inadequacy and the frustration I was feeling at all. He acknowledged it and pointed me to where the solution was. And as soon as he said it, my heart changed. It was like in the moment. It was like, you're right. Jesus is sufficient. And that's always going to be the answer. It is always. That's always, always going to be the answer. And we need to encourage one another in that because you're right. We we so often, and, and I'm not saying that all, like the church's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So our job is we are participants in that equipping. But we have to always remember that our confidence should never be in our equipping. You know, we learned that um, years ago when I was at uh, a big church that had literally thousands of small groups, and we would train these small group leaders. And what we always found was that the training before the thing never never worked well. Like people, we would do trainings to lead a small group or to start a small group, and nobody would attend. They never really went well. And so, or they weren't well attended. They they didn't seem to be all that helpful. And we realized, well, that's because the only people who show up are you had basically two groups of people showing up to those trainings. The group of people who just do it, did it out of obligation, but they didn't think there was going to be anything helpful. They were just checking off a box. They were like, I already know how to do this. I don't need this training. This is beneath me. Or the people who never could have enough training. Like they just... They would probably get to the end of the training and then say, I, I can't do this. Because it's almost like the more training they get, the, the less confident they feel, the more unprepared they feel. And then there were a bunch of people that just didn't show up because it wasn't that valuable. Well, then we realized that when we started doing trainings after, we started doing the trainings two weeks after they started their small groups. And they were super well attended and they were super fruitful because then all of a sudden everybody realized we were all in the same boat. Everyone, whether they felt confident in the beginning or not, the people who were overconfident now felt in and over their heads and they're like, holy cow, I need help. And then the people who were terrified to start just started and now they're like, okay, I see God moving. I believe he can do this. And so like, help me do this better. That's that's what we want kind of our, our mentality to be in, in the ministry. And often I frustrate people because they'll be like, well, just tell me what steps to take. And I'm like the, the step to take is to trust that God can do this and to be faithful to him. And and like you said, be confident in the sufficiency of Christ in this and keep asking him to do it, which was the part of these miracles. After Paul's done all this stuff, now he gets to heal people. It's, it's just this incredible thing that we miss out on so much of what God is doing because we just want to ask him to, to do something. Like we feel like we're supposed to be the ones and that the only time we should ask him is when we failed or when we messed up or when we, we couldn't do it. Like, like we think, we often think in terms of ministry that God's given me something to do and I'm supposed to do it and only ask him for help when I need it. And in a sense, that's true, but you should always need it. It's all the time. It's all the time. Because it's we are learning an unnatural thing 
to struggle with someone else's strength. So that's like what Paul said, right? He said that he struggles with all of God's, Christ's strength in him as he ministers to people. And we all have to learn how to do that. And it's not something that can be described for each one of us. We have to actually experience that. And so being in this situation that is hard and that we feel like I can't do this, it's beyond me, is actually right where we need to be because that's where we learn from God in reality, not just in theory, that it's all his work. Even though we put forth great effort, but the effort we put forth is in his strength that he provides. And it's, that's not natural. We don't, we're not born knowing how to do that. No, which is why we need one another, which that was, I was trying to like bring that home to a, that one, that point was like probably more practical than anything else. Um, like, cause it was just, I, I basically skipped all the theoretical stuff because I'm sitting there thinking it's not a hard concept to understand. Like we are meant to be a family. People talk about the church as if it's a family, but then treat it like it's, you know, an extra add on or, um, we treat it like consumers where we basically become consumers of relationships and consumers of community. So I'll participate in community as long as it's directly, as long as I see the direct impact and benefit to me, we don't actually just buy into it as a, um, as a way of living or as something that's really valuable. Why do you think that is like, why do we, why, why is it so difficult for people who were wired, even introverts are wired to not be alone. Like, even if you like to be alone, no one wants to be lonely. Like the, the difference in that is that for an introvert, you can be alone a lot and not feel lonely, but no one's wired for loneliness. That's not a, that's not a thing. Um, that's a really unhealthy thing. It's just that some people loneliness is, you know, happens when they, if they're by themselves for more than two minutes and they feel, they feel lonely. And for other people, they could go a couple months and they don't feel lonely. Um, but loneliness is not something that we are, that's part of the brokenness that we are supposed to be reconciled together. Why do we, why do we kick against the goads so much to use, use what Paul said, Jesus said to him, like, we just kick against the goads with community so much. I don't know. That's a good question. Probably has as many answers as there are people. I think, you know, for myself, when I have felt, oh man, this is a chore. <laughs> it's, it's because of my own sin or the sin of someone else. So like, it's interesting if you think, you know, we pray the Lord's prayer in heaven as on earth or in earth as in heaven, that God's will would come here. And it's hard to imagine being together where God's will is done in the way that he desires all the time, like, like Jesus prayed, um, where people are following his ways without error and not wanting to be together because it would be such a delight. And I think we just learn over time that actually there's work involved in it, just like everything in the world. It's not as, it's not as delightful as it ought to be. So that's part of what I think. It's like, because of the brokenness, it's not always prioritized. I also think sometimes we don't, we forget, like we've had an experience of how amazing and life-giving it is to be part of it, to, to serve and be served, to love and be loved, but we forget. Or we've never tasted that at all fully, the way God intends. Where relationships, they're not um, relationships because of some utility they bring us but because they're just that good and we just want to be together. And unfortunately, that's 
not all of our experiences, maybe in our families or in our friendships or at our workplace. So then I think to shift into a different mode of thinking when we think about our church family is not easy at all. I mean, let's be honest, we've just, we've been influenced not just by what we've experienced in our life, but the way we've done our lives. Right. Right. That forms us. So yeah, I like that you used the phrase word, the way of life too earlier, because I think if we think of the church family that we're part of as an event and not a way of life and living, that's also, those are very different things. You know, the event you can, you can come and go and you can miss it and it doesn't really matter depending on what the event is, if it's entertainment or if it's not um, what we're talking about. But if it's a way of life, then it's essential. Then it's something that we need desperately. Right. And, and when you sense, when you realize that it's not, um, that it is a, a responsibility that we take responsibility for one another and you realize there's a, there's a weightiness to it that just like with my kids, I have a responsibility to them. And so I don't, I don't determine whether I'm going to parent my kids based on whether I feel like it or not on that day or, um, or what I get out of it in the short term for that. I I'm, investing in something that I know is important and valuable. And, and that's part of the, that's part of it is realizing like this is important and valuable. And so it's worth investing in. And it is, it is a high cost. Like it's a, most things that are valuable are like, it's, there's a high cost of entry. Um, it takes a lot of investment. You have to really believe that it's important. And, um, and that's just something that's always so it, it's naturally it's always going to be problematic because of the high cost of investment. And so you really have to believe it. There are different things. It's kind of like giving financially, honestly, in the sense of like, if you're going to give sacrificially, you really have to believe uh, that that this is that this is worth it, that God that God is doing something in that he's doing something in your heart. You have to want that in order to sacrifice like that and community takes a similar type of sacrifice because you sacrifice a lot of time, a lot of energy, um, you loving people who you may not have like a natural affinity towards, you know, it can be hard. Um, like you said, there's brokenness there, there requires reconciliation, forgiveness, like all of these things that really get at the root of Christianity and the root of, if we belong to Jesus, then we, then we believe and we want these things it breaks, it breaks Christianity out of like a set of beliefs because I can just say that I think these things are important, but ultimately I just live my life the way I want to. I can say generosity is important, but then not give. I can say that community is important, but then be really selective and consumeristic in my mentality towards it. As long as it doesn't mess with the way I want to live my life, then, then I'm okay. Well, that's, that's part of the issue. And so there are these things. There's a reason why Jesus goes after money so much because it is a quick and very clear um, statement of belief. Like if you, like you have this tangible asset and resource, and if I give it over here, it's gone. So I have to believe that it is beneficial both to me and, and to like the calling and to the things that I really want if the kingdom is worth investing in. That, that I give that and that shows that really quickly and I think community does the same as far as loving people if you're willing if you're willing to give up a night during the week or you're willing to give up 
whatever you were going to do after church on Sunday to spend a little extra time or to be at an area lunch or whatever, like you're giving up something that you can't get back. You're not getting that time back. Um, and so you have to believe it's, it's worth it. And it, it really presses on us. I think just because it's just one of those areas where we, where it really presses the question of like, do we really believe? Cause I, I can say I believe, but my actions demonstrate it. And then it kind of lays it out there. And lately I've been thinking about how, what we do, like the simple choices we make, they're reflections of what's going on and who we've become inside and they influence who we become inside mm-hmm. and like our character and the way we're made and those commitments, whether we keep them or not, or I like use the, I think you used the word responsibility a little while ago, but I, I agree. Like it's a reflection of what God's doing and it, he changes us through it as well. When we, we do the thing and we sacrifice, serve someone else it actually does change us. He changes us through it. You know, you made me think when you were talking about parenting um, and you were saying about, you don't just parent when you want to or whatever. I was also thinking that some of the greatest blessings of being a parent come from times with kids, with my kids at least, that are not like the family game night. You know, like we have these events, like we're going to do this thing tonight. But for me, some of the most precious and life-giving things come from like a conversation that wasn't planned that happens on the way to a practice as we drive there. Right. And that's presence in relationship. And I, it's similar with the church. So it's a really important on Sunday morning, and it's profound when we take communion together. That's really important. But a lot of what ends up for me personally being the, the biggest blessing in relationship on Sundays are the conversations I didn't expect. And that happened only because... I just happened to be standing in the same space as this other person. We were together, and then this thing happened. And there's just no substitute for that, for presence with each other. Right, and that's the key is you you don't get those moments if you don't have those other times with them and if you're not actually present. Exactly. If you, So, yeah, people, that happens a lot in the church where people don't, they're not invested at all in community. They come to church. They just go to the service. And then they finally get pushed. This is a, just a common thing in churches across America. Big push for small groups. All right. And so now somebody's sitting there and they're like, all right, I'll join a small group because they say community is important and that's going to be a blessing. And so I'll join the small group. They go to the one small group and they think, well, that was painful. That was awkward. I didn't like that. I don't think I fit with that. And so, well, maybe I'll try a different small group. And then they don't. And then they maybe they try one other one. Like, well, that wasn't a perfect fit either. It didn't have quite enough people in my age range or whatever. And then... They, they, um, and so then they just stopped doing it. Like, well, I tried small groups that didn't work. I mean, that is that story. If you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, I've said something similar. That's because it's like 90% of people in the church. Like it's so common that we say that, but just imagine if I did that with, with my kids, if I just said like, if I didn't talk to them at all, if I just showed up at, you know, the dinner table, but didn't really engage with anybody or just, you know, surface level. And then said, well, I don't want to take them to practice. I don't want to take them. To, I don't want to go. I don't want to go do anything with them because um, like I just I, I eat dinner with them. So that's that's enough. And then and then you hear stories about people having these great conversations to on the way to practice. And you think, you know what? I think I would like to try that. So I'm going to take them to practice. And then there's no neat conversation like, well, that was a waste of time. Like they just um, it just would be so ridiculous. And uh-huh. people would just look at that and go, you're a terrible parent. Like you have to have the quantity time in order to have the quality time. Like it just, it doesn't work any other way. You have to be present. 
I've had people like, and I've noticed this, the area lunches have been such a great example. The people who have hung in there the most have seen the best, like there have been some incredible, profound, incredibly profound weeks where people are praying for each other, where it is just powerful. And then there have been other weeks where you're like, okay, well. I like the meatballs. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that was, <laughs> I guess the food was all right, you know, but my kids were obnoxious and I didn't really get to have any meaningful conversations. And I just would say that people who did that once and then said like, well, it really, it wasn't meaningful. Like, well, you're, you're missing out on that. And we tried to, as a church, to not say, there's not a lot. Like we don't say, hey, well, you should you should also try this thing and you should also be a part of this thing. We're just saying, hey, you got to be present with people in order to have community. And there needs to be a consistency of that. And that that is a cost. There's a cost to that. And, and we're just saying it's worth it. And that goes back to then when we talk about responsibility, we're so wired to think that if something's a responsibility, that it's a burden. But God gives us responsibilities that are joys. Like he's always, it's always for our good and for our joy. It's never, God, there's nothing that God asks us to do that he looks at and just says, you know what, that just needs to be done. Like just do it because it just needs to be done. We do that all the time, right? Like everyone has that experience at work, at home or whatever. There are things that you are required to do, a responsibility you have that the only, the best answer for it is it just needs to be done. There's nothing joyful that happens out of this. There's no, there's no like happy present from this. It just needs to be done. That is not the way God functions. God doesn't have to function that way because he doesn't need anything from us. There is literally nothing in the universe that just needs to be done because God does everything. And it says like, we do not serve him as though he needs anything. Like he's not served by human hands as though he needs anything. He doesn't. He only gives us responsibilities and things to do that result in more joy for us. Yeah, always for our joy. And it's interesting how sometimes the responsibilities can feel like burdens from a certain angle. Like right. even the res- like our call to to holiness, to forsaking yep. sin, right? To putting off what leads to death and putting on what leads to life. But actually you think about it, I think from another more helpful perspective, it's a privilege like to be aware that yeah, this thing is is leading me to nowhere good to more destruction and more pain. And by God's spirit in me, I get to fight a battle of healing and freedom, whatever it is that ultimately he's fought, but we do it in his strength. That's a privilege. And I think it's the same with community. And I was thinking, you said it was, it was a shorter comment on Sunday, but when our faith is strong, it's so that someone whose faith is weak could be encouraged. And then when our faith is weak, we need the encouragement of someone else. They're strengthening our arm. I don't remember which phrase that was in the passage you highlighted. You said that's a really cool phrase, but um, take heart. Yeah, take heart. And the thing is that we don't ever know ahead of time when we will need strengthening. We just don't. We end up in the position of realizing we need it. And we don't know ahead of time when someone that we're friends with and connected with will need it from us. And I think all this, to me, it just highlights again and again the gift of community, the gift of being in a family together. It's just indispensable. And the privilege of being in ministry. So I, like you just said there, the, the privilege of being that person, you know, like when you're talking about a, a conversation with your kid on the way to practice, this is, there's a privilege of being the person that they're going to have that conversation with. There's a privilege of, of being the one that God has placed 
to be able to pray for your neighbor or your coworker um, or your friend, like to, to, to be at worship on Sunday and to um, be the person that, that was around the table with that person, you know, with this other person that you see that you believe needs prayer or you want to just encourage. There's, there's a privilege in that. There's a privilege in being in, in sitting at an uneventful area lunch and just being with the people and it's, and you walk away going like, well, that's kind of, that was a, that was kind of mundane, like the mundane, you know, and, and people who lead gospel communities or small groups know that like not every week is amazing. And, but there's a privilege of, of that kind of that faithful presence that is kind of building that community and that family so that those other, so God will work in, in really mighty ways around that. And so we want, I mean, that's our desire. Like we are God's family on mission. So our desire for you is that you be in that kind of community. And um, again, not that you would do a lot of things. Like the, the point is not to participate in a lot of programs or events. The The aim is to, to be family and to experience family. And if you look at the way you are functioning in this church and you say, I don't have that, then please let us know. Help us help us help you <laughs> to get connected and to find community. What I will say is it's not gonna be easy. Like there's there's no easy button for community. Um, but but it's it's so worth it. It is valuable, it is critical. It's not just valuable, it is it is essential to following Jesus. We are not designed to follow Jesus individually. We are designed to be in community. And, and I realize that people have different paths and different histories, different personalities. And we want to walk through any of that with you and help you figure out what does it look like to trust Jesus in, in that way. So if you want to do that, please let us know. Email us, call us, talk to us on a Sunday and uh, so that we can help you connect with God's family, that we can truly be God's family on mission. And thanks for listening. Hope it was helpful. Until next time, grace and peace.